Acts chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 17 and 18. Just got finished, right? And I'll actually start in verse 16 just to, to kind of show you why 17 happened. So verse 16 says, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. I love that because you notice they didn't just say people all over Jerusalem. People around them. I want to encourage you, don't limit what God can do to your sphere. He can add to your sphere easily if you're just faithful. It says, the people from the towns around Jerusalem bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean demons, and they were all healed. So this is what the prelude to 17 is, and here's what the 17 response was. But the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, talking about the religious elite. This is the, the leading foreway of what faith is supposed to be. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. I want to create this picture because Jesus tells us that on his final night, we're talking about the Good Friday evening, before he, and really more early morning, before he endured the cross, before he endured the trials, before he endured the whipping post, before he endured the nails, before he endured the mockery and the spitting and the accusations, long before that, he endured a garden. And in the garden, he endured the most agonizing pain in his life. I, I, I would challenge anybody. He would say that the whipping post and the nails and the cross were Jesus' most agonizing hours of his life. Because the Jesus I see in Scripture shows how much he loved intimacy with the Father. And I would challenge and believe from what I see that Jesus at the garden, when he is begging the Father to take the cup from him, what's the cup? That's not just, the cup wasn't just the, the whippings that were coming. The cup wasn't just the cross that was coming. The cup wasn't just the death that was coming, but the cup was the separation from the Father. Scripture says when he took the cup, he bore the world's sins on his shoulders, and he understood that the Father could not be associated to sin. So the first time in his life, he was about to bear what it meant to be separated from the Father to have the Father not be in communication with Him, to have the Father not be in relationship with Him, to have the Father not be intimately entangled with His life. We're talking about the same Jesus who in John said that I say nothing apart from the Father. I do nothing apart from the Father. We're talking about the Jesus whose every word spoken came from the Father. We're talking about the Jesus who every miracle that occurred was told him by the Father. We're talking about he lived a life so intricately involved with the Father that he couldn't breathe or speak or live or act outside of himself. It was always through the Father. Imagine with me that Jesus is about to face the 5,000 when he's preaching the greatest sermon known to mankind. And in the flesh, they see him stand up and preach, blessed are those. But in the spirit, he's looking over and said, what do you want me to tell them, Dad? What do I say now? He never preached that sermon on his own. It was told him by the Father. 
that was intricacy and the intimacy he had. And in the garden, he bore the cup that said, I'm at this moment separating myself from you. At this moment, I'm cutting off a lifetime of intimacy with you. And if you would, if there was any possible way to save these people without losing a relationship with you, would you do it? But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What he said in that moment was, it doesn't matter in the end if that means I'm separated from you for a moment because these people are worth it. The people that were about to accuse him, the people that were about to shout crucify him, the people that were about to drill nails into his hands and his feet, the people that were about to shove a crown of thorn on his head, the people about to beat him beyond recognition, the people that were about to laugh and spit at him, mock his pain and misery. He told the father that I will separate myself from you for a moment for them. So Jesus, we serve today. That's the Jesus we serve and the Jesus that we honor and the Jesus we remember on this Good Friday. I can't help but think about this weekend and be overcome with pain and agony and heartache, but be so inexpressibly filled with joy and gratitude at the same time. It's such a, a conflicting feeling that I realize that I think of this cross and I think of a man that his mother couldn't recognize. And I think of a man who did nothing wrong his entire life. And I think of a man whose only goal in life was to know the Father. And he took on a punishment I deserve. It breaks my heart. It hurts. But I'm so grateful for it. I'm so grateful for it. And in the garden, when he's taking this cup and he's bearing this cup, he's praying to the Father as well. And he's ministering to his disciples and his apostles as well. And he's telling them in his last hours of life, he said, be ready. The world hated me, it'll hate you. Be ready. They persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Be ready. What I went through, you're going to go through. Not because it's rejected you, but it's rejected me. And this was his his hour of of final moments of life before death. And he's focusing on building up his followers. He's focused on encouraging them. He's focused on giving them life and strength and guidance. Final hours, he's about to go through physical brutality. And his focus is on building them up. His focus on encouraging them and giving them life and hope. And so he gives this challenge because they did it to me, they'll do it to you. And that's where we see ourselves in Acts 5, 17 and 18. Because they did it to Jesus, they're doing it to his followers. And so in chapter 5, I believe that in these moments, I believe Peter, who had once drawn a sword and cut off the servant's ear, is now sitting back remembering, saying, Lord, you've done it for me once. I'll do it for you a hundred times. He's already been in prison once, mind you. And the, the, the Sadducees and the high priests are scheming to do it again. They're getting ready for it. And I love what it says because what was the reasoning? It wasn't because they were preaching heresy. 
It wasn't because they were blaspheming. It wasn't because they were doing anything immoral. But being filled with jealousy. And I, I want to pick on that for a moment tonight because that word jealousy is the word zelo, which is where we get the word zealous. It's a fervent, ardent spirit that is raised up against somebody. Why did Jesus give his life to, to the high priests? Why did they pursue his life? They were zealous toward him. They were jealous of him. He was stealing their flock. People were pulling away from them in order to follow truth. They were jealous. Why did Satan turn from the Father at the beginning? Because he was jealous. Why is he going to pursue us today? He's jealous. I want to encourage us that as we remember the final hours of Jesus, we remember the hope he gave us. This is the day we celebrate that life and hope was given to us. And on Sunday, we celebrate when authority and victory was given to us. And I'm so thankful we have both. Because I couldn't imagine I've had all the hope in the world without any authority <laughs> to back it up. But we get to do that. But today I want to take a moment because not only do we celebrate the life, and not only do we celebrate the hope, and not only do we celebrate the forgiveness, and not only do we remember what Jesus did, but I want us to, to learn from what he did. How much of a shame would it be that if Jesus told us, every time you take the bread and drink the cup, remember this? How much of a shame would it be if we remembered a story but never learned from the Savior. It would be a missed opportunity. We'd have dropped the ball over and over and over again. And what I want to challenge you with today is that remember that just like Jesus on the cross, he overcame it eternally for us. But we're still in a battle for our lives. It's still a warfare every day of our lives. Because there's an enemy out there who is jealous. There's an enemy who when he sees the people of God, those who already call him father and those who have not yet, he sees a people who are created and formed with a plan and a purpose. He sees a people who have the love of the father backing them in everything they do. He sees a people who are created for the purpose of hope. And he realizes that everything we have been given and promised are the things that he pursued, and it cost him everything. Jealousy, zeal, zealousness of spirit, an ardent spirit that opposes the things of God. And this Good Friday, I want to challenge you that when those attacks come, perhaps maybe we can handle it the same way Jesus did. And that's if he hasn't, the Father hasn't told us anything. Maybe we keep our mouth shut. If the Father says to speak, we speak. When he says don't, we don't. If he says to carry a cross, we carry a cross. Can we learn the humility and the grace of the Savior we serve? Can we, can we sit back and, and understand that the enemy is attacking us with jealousy, but we have the upper hand? Can we, can we sit back and recognize that we are serving a Savior who has given us everything. 
to realize that this Jesus, the moment we said yes to him, everything was unwrapped. Everything was unwrapped. Every gift and every blessing, every promise, every hope, everything that Jesus had purchased on the cross was all inside one gift box. And the moment we said yes to Jesus, we opened it up and it all became available. We have an enemy who hates us for that. We have an enemy who is jealous and zealous over us because of that. We have an enemy who wants to stop us from advancing the kingdom of God because of that. We have a battle at hand. And we need to be grateful and overwhelmed of the Savior who put it all on the cross. Well, we cannot let it go for granted. We cannot let it go untouched. We need to live a life that creates an atmosphere of jealousy for the enemy. If the enemy is not jealous by us, if he is not zealous against us, we're not doing anything for the Father. We're not doing anything for the kingdom. We're not working against him in overdrive. He's not a threat. We're not a threat to him. I want to challenge you to, to consider this Good Friday as a, as a moment of challenge that would say, God, I want to live a life so immensely threatening of the enemy that I find myself on a cross daily. Scripture says that we should pick it up and carry it anyway. I might as well get nailed to it. I might as well put it all up there. I might as well give it all and put it on the line. Can we step up as a church and as the church, as the body of Christ, as the kingdom of God, and say, Lord, help me live so fervently for you. Help me live so intimately with you. Help me live so passionately and obediently and actively and expectantly in you that I find myself nailed to the cross every day. That I would find myself nailed to the cross, not because I don't have freedom and not because I'm condemned by who I am and what I've done, but because my life is nothing compared to yours that I could put myself aside and let your spirit move instead. That Good Friday, it was, it was painful and it was agonizing for Jesus and so many. Peter's agony came in that he realized in the moment of his Savior's greatest need, he was nowhere to be found. Mary's agonizing moment was that in the moment of her son's greatest need, there was nothing she could do. John's most agonizing moment was at the moment of his Savior's greatest need. He had to stay back and hold the mother. There's things that God has called us to. And there's things that challenge us each and every day. And I want to assure you that even though Jesus was the only one who died on the cross that day, he wasn't the only one who was nailed to one. There was these, these spiritual metaphorical crosses that his followers carried and, and were driven into. 
There were thieves on either side of him who were physically joining him. We have this moment in history that's the greatest moment in history ever. Greatest loophole ever known to mankind. And it was all done because it was an enemy who was jealous. It was all done because it was an enemy who sought to steal, kill, and destroy. There was an enemy who saw the Father in a man. And there was an enemy who heard the Father in a man. And there was an enemy who was slapped by the Father through a man. And that zeal caused him to pursue the life of the man. Will the enemy see the Father in the men and women of God? Will he hear the Father in the men and women of God? Will he be slapped by the Father through the men and women of God? Are we feeling the warfare of a jealous and zealous enemy? It's a challenge. Good Friday was a time of hope and it was a time of grace and it was a time of power and it was a time of victory and it was a time of forgiveness and redemption and all of that. It was a challenge. It was a challenge that because I was, so will you. Pick up that cross and carry it. Give of your life. Lose it for my sake. There were challenges. It was, it was a model. He died on the cross for our redemption, but he also died on it for our example. It was an example to us of how to carry a cross. It was an example to us of how to take the attacks of the enemy. It was an example for us of how to bear the, the nails of accusation and, and to, to, to be nailed to the cross. It was an example of us of how to crucify the flesh. It was an example. It was an example. And that example stuck with his apostles. It stuck with them. It stayed with them. Because the same apostles, and we'll get there in later chapters, but the same apostles that scattered and ran. The same apostles that cut off ears and denied him. The same apostles that just had to hold the mother soon found themselves imprisoned and rejoicing God that they were considered worthy to suffer for the king. Do we rejoice in our sufferings? Or do we complain and say, God, why me? I remember in college... I was going through a lot, and I, that was me, being that whiny, spoiled American Christian. And if the term spoiled American Christian offends you, I'm sorry, and I will pray for you. <laughs> but it's true. It's true. I was being a whiny, spoiled American Christian. And I was crying to God, saying, God, why me? And he spoke to me pretty clearly, and he said, why not you? Why are you so much better than my son? Why are you so much better than everybody else who's suffered? We're not. We're not. 
We're not called to whine and cry when, when we become persecuted. We're not called to whine and cry when the people raise up against us and say, crucify him. We're not called to whine and cry when we're whipped and beaten and when we're pierced to a cross. We're called to do what the Savior did. Receive it in grace. Receive it with forgiveness and love and mercy. We're called to, to bear it all and to just cry out to the Father on their behalf to forgive them. Forgive them, for they don't know what they do. We're called to pour it all out. The same Jesus who, who took the cup and, and, and bore the greatest agony of his life by separating from the Father. He showed his heart pain when the near the end of it all, he looked up at the Father and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew the answer. But his heart was being bore on the cross. And he was crying out for, for everyone to hear him. God, the only thing I've ever wanted was to be near you. Where are you now? The heart cry isn't a blame on God. We don't bear the cross to blame God, but we bear the cross to say, Lord, I just want to be with you. I want to be near you. Where are you? And I'll go there. If I, have to, if I have to pursue the tomb to be near the Father, I'll go. If I have to pursue the whipping post to be near the Father, I'll go. I just want to be near you, Lord. And he cried it out and he proclaimed it. He left it all on there. He left it all on the cross. He poured it all out at the cross. Scripture tells us that whenever the time was coming up to finish, there's a storm coming in, and, and they saw that he was dead already. They went and they pierced his rib. And it says that his blood poured like water. Scientists have studied this for years since. And they say that when they pierced the side, it got his heart too because they wanted to make sure all the blood was gone and that he was dead. But there was no blood left to bleed. And they say that's the sign of a broken heart. A broken heart. Our Savior died from a broken heart. He died with a heart that was broken for the people he loved. He died with a heart that was broken from his separation from his father. He died from a heart that was broken. Not that was hopeless that was broken. And I say that to say this, he knows your pain when you feel brokenhearted. He knows your pain when you feel hopeless and broken. He knows your pain when you feel alone. He knows your pain when it feels like everybody's forsaken you. He knows it. And he bore the cross for it. He bore it for you because he knew there was a jealous enemy after you. He knew there's a jealous enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy you with everything in his body. But he can't touch you on the cross. It seems counterproductive and counterintuitive to think that at the place of death was a place the enemy couldn't touch our Savior. But he couldn't. Couldn't touch him. He'd already lost and he didn't even know it. He'd already lost. 
This evening we celebrate the king who wins, even when the enemy doesn't even know it. We celebrate the king who wins in our lives even when we don't already know it. We celebrate the king who gives us power over the schemes of the enemy when we cause jealousy and zealousness to raise up against us. So Jesus, we serve. It's what today is all about. It's about an example. It's about a sacrifice. It's about a redemption. It was about knowing that I can pursue a cross with a broken heart. And my Savior understands it. He laid it all out on the line. He left it all there at the cross. Every tear, every blood drop, every water drop, every breath on a cross. This evening, we're going to take communion in a moment. Pastor Lincoln, you pass that out. And while we do, we're going to try. There's a video I want you to watch. Um, if you feel like it's not honoring to tonight, I apologize ahead of time. But it has such a connection to this story. It has such a connection to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And there's a movie I watched, and when I watched it, I cried. I cried and broke because I just saw the Father's fingerprint all over it. I saw his love for us all over it. And when you watch it, I want you to see it. It's this movie, perhaps you've heard of it, perhaps you haven't. It's called A Quiet Place. And uh, some people try to call it a horror film. Others call it a thriller. The guy who acts in it and who produced it calls it a story of a father's love. And it's such a wonderful picture of what the Father did for us. It's such a wonderful picture of who Jesus was on the cross to us. And I want you to watch it. And
did you see Jesus in that like I did when I watched the film? Because what I saw when I watched this was a perfect demonstration of the Father's love on the cross. See, we're, we're children and a people who don't always hear what the Father's up to. We don't always hear what he's saying to us. We don't always hear what's happening around us. We don't always see or get it. And oftentimes as people, we, we can be guilty, and especially before we knew him, we were guilty of carrying sin and shame and condemnation and guilt. Because I understand that the sin of humanity cost our father, his son. He lost something dear to him. I do believe that as much as we see in Scripture that Jesus' greatest agonizing moment was the moment he was separated from the Father. Was the moment he cried out, my God, my God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? I have no doubt that was the Father's most agonizing moment too. He had pain in his heart. And pain, his spirit, that his son was going through there and he couldn't be there for him. Because he couldn't dwell with sin. And I felt like the girl who has looked at the father and said, I've cost you your son. I've done things that are unforgivable. I've done things that don't deserve your love. I felt that way. And I think if we're honest, we've all felt that way. And what I do is I see the Father through Jesus, through this man, to where the enemy was beginning to attack because Jesus and his followers were making noise. They were stirring water. They were creating trouble. They were changing the world around them. They were loosening the grips of Satan wherever they went. They were making noise. And so the enemy begins to attack. And he begins to attack hard and fiercely. We know this is true, not just of Jesus, but even of Peter, because Jesus said, Peter, behold, the enemy stands at the door knocking. He's asking for you. He wanted to stop it all. And what I do is I saw this image that he was after the people and the children of God because they were making noise. And what a message. If there was ever a message that the Father sent us, it was as simple as that man's. I love you. I've always loved you. Even on the cross, even now, while you shout crucify me, even now, when you, when you drive nails into my hands and my feet and laugh and mock, even now as you drive a thorns into my head, even now as you whip me beyond recognition, even now as you spit at me, and even now as you wager over my clothes, even now as you mock and ridicule me as a king, even now, I love you. And I always have. Even now. 
We know it's true because his final hours, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. They don't know the noise they're making. They didn't know. They don't know the trouble they're causing. They don't know the separation that's happening. They don't know the threat of their life. They don't know. And Jesus on the cross, he, his hands were nailed. He couldn't physically sign, but if there was ever a sign that ever said, I love you and always will, it was this. If there was ever anything that communicated to me the love of the Father, it was outstretched, pierced arms. If any time he has ever hand-signed to me his love, it was on a cross. And he signed it. And he communicated to a world that was under attack and duress of the enemy, I love you. You may not believe it. You may not see it. You may have questioned it because of your shame and your guilt and your condemnation, but let me prove it. And so he said, I love you. And in one final breath, Scripture says that he gave up his last breath. And I don't think it was a simple... I believe it was a mix of a war cry and a broken heart, just like that father's was. You heard the pain and the agony and the hurt in his voice, but he wasn't afraid. He was victorious. And in one breath, Jesus on that cross shouted a shout of victory, bringing focus from the enemy off of his children and onto himself. And the enemy came and took a final blow. Just in time for the children to have an opportunity to get away with life. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I felt like I was this close to end it all. This close to all of it ending, to all of it perishing, to all of it being over. But I was able to get the vehicle and drive and get away. Why? Because a Savior I served told me he loved me. And he gave up his breath with a powerful cry. He drew the attention of the enemy. If there'd ever been a secular piece of media or art that I think has told the story of Jesus outside of the passion, I can't think of a better one. From the signing, to the crying, to the shouting, to the sacrificing, I love you. I have always loved you. I cost the father a son, but it never changed his love for me. It never changed his passion and his zeal for me. Because even when I cost him a son, he gave up a breath, and he gave up a shout, and he gave up a cry said I could escape with life. What a good Friday it really is. Day of victory. Day of redemption. Day of hope and forgiveness. A day of exemplary modeling and fervor. There's an enemy who is out to destroy you. He's jealous and zealous. 
Don't allow that to make you quiet. Carry the cross. Be nailed to it. And raise a shout as often as you can. Follow the example of the Father. Crucify that flesh and walk in power and authority. Cause jealousy to the enemy. Cause zeal against him. Cause him to be ardently fervorous against you. Make some noise. Disrupt what he is doing. 